Remote Patrol is sponsored by Simply Everything. Visit simplysyndicated.com slash everything to hear our entire back catalogue, new episodes before they're available as podcasts, and exclusive shows made just for Simply Everything, including every episode of Movies You Should See and the new series of Make It So. I'm Jason Hawk, he's Richard Smith, and she's Allison Downing, and this is Remote Patrol, the podcast about TV shows you should have watched, and and you still can, because technology. Tonight we're dipping back into the Boston Legal Well, and I can't remember honestly how far we got last time. What, what did we actually talk about? Um, we talked. To, you talked about Alan Shaw, both yeah, of did. you solidly for about 45 minutes. All I remember is a vague tingling in my pants. There yeah. you go. I, I finished the show with a large pool of dribble on my bust. There we go. Uh, a, the line the, is a dot to you. The man love in this show. I, 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 I think we're probably going to end up gushing again tonight. Probably. It's probably. given. It's usually it's what happens. It's given. But uh, to get us started here, I brought some trivia. <laughs> okay, Jason. This is the exciting See? bit. This is going to be a little bit of a competition between Rich and Allison. I've got the the dinger here. If you've been listening to Atomic Trivia War, got you know that you've got dinger, the dinger. Richard. Oh yeah. So here we go. We're going to start with uh, with Allison. Oh, okay. How many times is Denny Crane married during the series? Okay. Um, I think it's once. Once? No. It's a. Uh, Whoops, wrong dinger. Wrong dinger. Whoops. Uh, no, six times. <laughs> six times? Six times that Denny Crane is married during the series. See, I didn't think he married a couple of them. I don't know. Did I he thought he only got married once. I would, I would have said once. A couple of them were very short-lived. And don't forget the finale. Well, yeah, there's a finale. Uh, you see how they still only got to two. But hey-ho, six it is. <laughs> Rich. Yeah. Of Michelle Forbes, Scott Bakula, or uh, Michael Dorn, which Star Trek alumnus did not appear in a guest role on Boston Legal? Michael Dorn. And you get the bell. Thank that was you. so easy. God. That was not easy. It was so easy. I got God. it because I'm awesome. Deal with it. I had to really look because I didn't remember Scott Bakula being in it. <coughs> I believe he was a lawyer that they fought a case against. But it was a very late season episode, right? Was mm. it was it four or five somewhere in there? I, I don't remember. I, I just the, remember he was a lawyer. The DVDs I have, seasons one, two, and three have been worn down quite a bit. Seasons four and five, not so much. I don't like uh, I don't like some of the lawyers that come in in the very later seasons. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm, I guess we'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. Number three goes back to Allison. What character dresses as Oprah in the season three episode Nuts? Clarence. And you get the bell. Boom! Richard. <laughs> yes. Chai McBride appears in a guest spot as Stephen Harper, the same character he played in what other geographically appropriate show? Uh, I don't know. Do you know who Chai McBride is? No. 
He's a big black dude, bald. Uh, he, he was in Let's Go to Prison. No. No, he was in no. Human Target. Not getting it. Never heard of that. No? Mm-hmm. Uh, Chai McBride and Mark Valley, both in Human Target. It was a Fox show, only lasted one season. But uh, he played Stephen Harper, the same character he played in Boston Public. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Do you remember that show? It was about uh, schools in Boston. Never heard of it. Never saw it. Heard of it. See, it listen, that was a hard one. It was a hard one. We're, it was e- a- we're evens now. Yeah. Allison. Yes. Both actor Mark Valley and his character, Brad Chase, are veterans of what war? Bosnia. No, the well, Gulf War. The Gulf War. The Gulf War. Number six goes to Richard. Michael J. Fox's character, Daniel Post, takes part in a clinical drug trial for pharmaceutical company Devlin McGregor, which is the same evil drug company in what Harrison Ford movie? Harrison Ford movie with an evil drug company. Devlin McGregor. Is it The Fugitive? Yes! Ha <laughs> ha! Same one. Number seven goes to Allison. Allison, you're behind. Come on. What Disney nickname does Jeffrey Coho adopt for his rival, Brad Chase? See, I know this. This is a kick yourself kind of one. What Disney nickname? You see, I think it's because he kind of looks like him in a blonde way. You'll kick yourself. They both dress up as <gasps> Buzz Lightyear. There you go. There's oh, the... that dragged out of me, bloody hellfire. It's tough, isn't it? Oh yeah. Rich, yeah. at the end of season one, Alan Shore travels to what US state to argue against a death penalty sentence for a man with mental retardation? Texas. <laughs> That's the bell. <laughs> At number nine, Allison, mm-hmm. tragically comic character's murder weapon of choice was a frying pan. It, it, oh, Catherine, the lovely Catherine. Ooh, oh, you know what? I think I have to give it to you. You know, you do because she did. She used a frying pan, but I was actually thinking Bernard. You get the bell anyway. Okay, cool. She, she did, though. She, she totally she kills did. him the way he kills people. Exactly. So, you know. Could have had either. And number 10 goes to Rich. What Designing Women star appears in season three as Bethany's mother and Denny's former fiance? Oh, I can picture her. I don't know a name. No, I, I don't know a name. I, I know exactly who it is, though. She's in this arc that we're going to talk about tonight, and the entire time that Lisa and I were watching it, Lisa kept on talking about just how um, Botox injections are terrible and they don't make people look better. No, they don't. They just freeze people and and they can't express themselves, which means they can't act as well as they used to, which is my main argument against Nicole Kidman. It's Delta Burke. Oh, it is Delta Burke. Which I only know because I've just looked up Designing Women on IMDb. He looked at us. I take can't. that bell I, away. I can't take the bell back. There's no reverse ding. But, uh, yeah, the, the Botox injections, I don't understand them because they just make you look bloated. They don't make you look younger. And the, and blo- it's not the bloating's filler. 
the the, blo- yeah. the bloating's filler, which they have injected into the cheek, which like replumps the flesh again to make them look youthful. And the Botox fills out the lines by not allowing you to express yourself, basically. So it's just it, you turn yourself into a doll, a very unreal humanoid, rather than being human and aging properly. Did you know that Scott Bakula was on five episodes of Designing Women? No. He That's was. A, that completes the triangle for tonight. It's a hat trick. <laughs> he played Dr. Theodore Ted Sh- uh, Shively. Logan. Ted Theodore Logan, yes. Um, yeah, there you go. I, I learned a little huh. something there. Delta Burke, for me, at least, definitely the weakest part of this three-episode arc we're going to talk about. Yeah. I kind of... I kind of like the way that they uh, they reacquaint a little bit, but Bethany's so strong that you can't help but like her. She uh, she's the kind of person who, well, we'll get into that. Yeah, but yeah. let's introduce the arc. It's the Lincoln Meyer arc, and uh, this is season three of Boston Legal. So right smack dab in the middle of the series, it uh, includes the episodes Trick or Treat, Lincoln, and On the Ledge. Started in September 2006 and ran through part of October. I really don't recommend that uh, listeners start with this one because you really need to kind of know the characters going in. It's 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 the wrong place to jump into the show. So don't take this episode as a as a endorsement of that. Yeah, you need, yeah you definitely need to know who this guy is before you meet him here. I, I think with with all of the shows we talk about, start at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean the the point is they're all on Netflix, pretty much. Well, th- this one actually isn't, is it? But uh, I mean, we, we hope that we're not going to ruin it for you. We we don't want to ruin it for you. We want to infect you a little bit, and and maybe by the time you see this, if you haven't already, then you'll have forgotten some bits, and you'll get to discover it. Mind you, all yourself. Who does that? Who thinks I'm going to start watching a show? I'll just order season three on Amazon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get into it. Yes. Yeah, now, to with... be fair, when you first watched Quantum Leap, Rich, you did that. You started in with season two. Did I? Oh, that's because that was all that was on TV. Right. So yeah, I suppose. But... There are certain shows though that I'd say jump in on season three. Uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. I think the first two seasons are absolutely terrible. Oh, they are. But I can't see. Maybe this is a little OCD thing I have. I've got to watch them all from the beginning. Straight completionist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like I I didn't realize how bad it was until I got Skyfall on Blu-ray on Monday because I got for Christmas that big box set of all the the Bond films on Blu-ray, and they have an empty slot at the back for the Skyfall DVD when it comes out. And that has left me with an unfillable gaping hole in my life ever (laughs) since it arrived in the house. It's just been, I I honestly think some of, not all, but some of my sleeping problems have been related to knowing (laughs) that there is an empty slot in the back of that box. Now, wait, wait, wait. As of the time that we're recording, (coughs) Skyfall is out on DVD and Blu-ray in the United States. It's done. Yes, it's out here. Okay, so it's out, you just don't have it. No, I have it now. That's what, what I'm do. saying. He's sleeping it's, now. it's when it arrived on Monday that I uh, finally felt complete because <laughs> I could take it out of the box it came in and put it into the box set to go with the others, knowing full well that in a couple of years they're going to release another goddamn Bond film and that's going to come in its own separate box oh, yeah. and I'm going to go mental again. That's just what I know. 
I think that that's the best argument against ever having a Back to the Future 4. <laughs> Absolutely it is. You'll screw up everybody's DVD shelves. Don't, you can't do that. <laughs> so there's a lot going on in these three episodes. It was kind of hard to leap right into it because I didn't go back and watch. I just hit up the ones that we were going to talk about. And it was kind of hard keeping track of all the threads that were already going. I don't know how all the writers kept all these storylines straight. There there must have been five or six in these three episodes that were all intertwined. Yeah. I mean, you get the feeling that there's um, a job for a writer per case, really. And um, and somebody's going to write that one, somebody's going to write this one, and then somebody's going to write the incidental stuff that takes place in corridors and doesn't really relate to a case, but just gives you a bit more exposition or time with the character. Um, and... I think that this is how they do it. I have a friend who has written for... There are two writers credited to this episode. Two. That's good going. That's a lot of juggling for two people. That is a lot of, a lot of work. And I bet the um, same two people. I have work. a friend who wrote for a UK soap opera, and it was his job to write the, the core story. Um, and then other people fleshed out what was going on in people's lives around that story. So, in actual fact, I've just looked this up. There was only David E. Kelly and one other guy wrote the Trick or Treat episode. And then the other two, ne the next two episodes were just written by David E. Kelly. Then my so heart is even further he, off my yeah, head. Yeah, he essentially wrote the whole thing on his own. Uh, he so, seems to like to do that, though. He's got the whole auteur thing going on. It's yeah. what he does, isn't it? He's always done sort of comedy legal dramas. Uh, he did Ally McBeal as well, of course, which is... Pretty much a slightly girlier Boston legal. I wouldn't say that it's nearly as clever. Is that a weird thing to do, to assign television shows some sort of gender? I, yeah, it's uh, a weird thing to do. Oh, no, really? No, its target audience is going right. to be largely built up of a demographic, and it was made for that demographic, largely. That's what the studio does, to sell ads. It's, it's a strange thing, because I, I would describe Boston Legal as a very manly show. But it, I wouldn't describe it no. also as written for men, because I don't think it is. I don't think... How is but it a manly if, if show? If I had really? to assign a gender to Boston Legal, it would be male. And Ally McBeal would be female. Boston Legal does have a very split cast. I mean, you've got equal numbers, more or less, of men and female characters. Yeah. Do you feel, Alison, that the women are as strong as the men? No way. You've got two Greek gods on the mountain. You know, you can't really look beyond... Denny and Alan. They but they they both look in awe at Shirley Schmidt. She's more than their equal, I think. She is, but I think that takes time to develop, and she she's a late comer anyway. So she's always on the back foot, and and it doesn't really matter how invested I am in a show. I know that you didn't get there on day one. So I I think I struggle a bit more with somebody who arrived after a while, um, and I think that might be just me. Oh, I might be peculiar that way. Um, but I think that um, she's um, a mirror, really. I think she's what they reflect from. So I don't, I don't necessarily think she's as monolithic as as the two men in it at all. Even though her, her name's on the thing, it is the last one. So it sounds like maybe you're saying that Rich is right. Go on, say it, say it, say it. I think maybe it is. But we get <gasps> we get a, a kind of different sort of uh, manness in this one. I don't know. We've got um, 
we've got women who are very, very much revered and then women who are lusted after. Um, but we've also got, you know, women in really powerful positions, but they're the ones who make the most mistakes in this show, and that, that still stands. Huh. That's an interesting one to take, especially in this three-part episode, considering that uh, Shirley Schmidt is kind of the damsel in distress in this arc. She is, yeah. She doesn't exactly play the Penelope Pit stop, though, does she? She's no, very, no. very, very cool. She fights back. But we should probably let people know what this arc is about. We've got a guy, a, a pretty cool cat, a 50-something and flamboyant, possibly gay. I don't know. I don't know. He's one of life's real eccentrics. I didn't actually have him down as gay. I don't think he is gay. I think he's very, very effeminate, which is a very different thing. I don't know. It's odd. I think they leave it up in the air because this comes off of the Scott Little trial, which is an arc in and of itself. Uh, one that I highly recommend that you watch is a really, really good one with a shock ending. It's fantastic, yeah. And we meet Lincoln Meyer, the sometimes protagonist, later antagonist. Uh, the, this quasi-English accent-affected eccentric. Yeah. And uh, and he's just weird. He's creepy, he's and they do tom. leave it up in the air. He's a peepy. Right? Tom. They say he's very they, proud of peeping as well. He's a peepy. Right. Self-described peepy. He uh, he had a very odd relationship with the murder victim in that Scott Little trial. Mm. But Denny obsessional as homosexual. I think that Denny is quick to draw conclusions from someone. And he's always quick to draw conclusions. That's the point. He is mental. <laughs> it's the mad cow. He's old guard. He's old guard and mad cow. Whatever. I think that's an excuse for old guard. Crikey, I know I don't really fit in anymore. My <laughs> ideas and opinions are a bit weird and passe these days. I'll blame it on mad cow. But Denny's a character where if you don't like guns and drinking and sleeping with women a lot then you're obviously gay. I'm being a Republican, probably. <laughs> you know, you're, you're obviously a gay liberal hippie. Mm. Um, so. There's a bunch of different ways to look, though. If you're going to phrase it in political terms, Rich, if, if you're going to look at it from a Republican or a Democratic standpoint, there's lots of different ways to look at Lincoln Meyer. Do you think he has a mental illness? No, I think he's got a personality disorder, which is yeah, not really a mental health problem. Is it not? Is that not the same thing? Is that a different thing? It's a completely different thing. Yeah, you don't. You're not necessarily mentally ill with a personality disorder. You just behave in ways that are um, not quite the norm. Um, or you might create certain situations. And Lincoln Meyer likes being a PP. He owns it. He wears it like a coat. He um, he kind of creates drama when there is none. Um, he likes to be the center of attention. And um, and he's a narcissist. So he craves that attention to the point of committing some pretty heinous crimes. He'll go so far just to get somebody's attention, and uh, and that's kind of that's kind of broken. But it's not mentally ill. It's, you can get the feeling that he's been very lonely for a very long time. Oh yeah. How do you get close to a peepee? You know, he doesn't sell himself very well. You don't want to be in his company. He creeps you out immediately as soon as you see him. There's something about the way that he articulates his words that creeps you out, just yeah. on a, a very primal level. He, yeah, he really lengthens and chews on his vowels. He loves them. And he's, his eyes kind of get involved in his vowels as well. And 
it's mesmerizing. You don't want to look at him, but you can't help it. And his, his movements are kind of small and very deliberate. He's just a weird one. He's weird. It is, and it makes for his ability to be the comic relief and to be kind of horrifying at the same time, which is a weird mix. Well, you don't know how far those people can go, do you? To right, it's, it's, it's exactly. I mean, what does he really want? Does he want to be on the papers? Does he want to be on TV for this? Does he want to be famous? Because he's going about it the right way by kidnapping somebody so... Um, powerful, really. And Shirley's got power. She's certainly one that people would miss if she were to be kidnapped when she was visiting uh, a client. People would know. Uh, I'm I'm assuming that the Newtown, Connecticut school shootings here in December... Got a little bit of press over in the UK. Yeah, yeah. a great deal. And we, we were actually in the States at the time, were we? I think we were. When you know. was it? December no, 17th, it, maybe? It was after. We were in the, in the States in January. Um, but there was a lot of TV on at the time um, with a gun debate. So, yeah, we we get to hear quite a lot in the UK about what goes on over there. It was kind of awkward watching this uh, three-episode arc here after all of that came out because part of the Newtown thing was how much media coverage should there be? Does media coverage cause copycat killings? What kind of control should we have on uh, gun laws, which certainly comes to light in this episode? (laughs) What kind of uh, control should we have on mental health and screening and help for people? How should it be funded? All of these issues that are kind of tied into this character of Lincoln Meyer. Mm. I think it's another one of those episodes in Boston Legal that really deftly handles the situation. And And is prescient. Mm. It, it was. I, I found it so. quite interesting how many of the topics covered in the show, in general, are still perfectly relevant. It, it didn't feel. You know, this is an episode from two thousand and six. It's not gone away. And no, it's gone no away. problems have gone away. People have still got assault weapons in their homes. And a lot of them were couched in the context of the Bush administration and all of the problems that came with it. But I mean, as much as uh, as much as I'm going to be pro Obama. He hasn't done a lot to absolve the nation of a lot of the problems that it's wrestling with. No. I mean, but from our side of the pond, we, we, would w- we wish a very broad stroke would happen. Because we, we had it here after uh, a guy went into a school in Scotland and shot up the place. And that, that can't happen anymore. And um, the last big one that we had, um, th- well, one of the last big ones that we had was a cabbie who uh, had a mental illness. Oh, he was just and a he had a gun license. A gun. And, but there were there was um, questions about his fitness to have that gun a while ago. So even with our very, very strict rules, we have far few shootings than you guys, even taking in terms of population. We just don't have that issue at all. It doesn't exist. But unfortunately, the Dunblane thing still got through, and the yeah. Carlisle thing still got through because... Nobody really followed up on his mental health checks with the gun licensing. I would say the most frightening thing for us over here after that happened was, you know, uh, to say this from, I'm speaking now as the people of Great Britain to the people of America, right? 
You stand for us all. I'm standing for us all. <laughs> okay. Right? This and is I'm, scary. I'm talking to all the of Smith them. Party. Right? <laughs> yeah. Don't fuck about <laughs> with threatening to send Piers Morgan back here. Right, because we don't want him back here. No, we'll right? do everything was, in our power. There was honestly, we were <laughs> the alert systems that lit up when you're like, "I'll oh, send Piers Morgan back to England." But you know no. what? We don't want him back, no. but we agree with what he's saying. So there you go. You got him now. You got to keep him because we don't want him. <laughs> right? I'm just saying. Well, don't we were... joke about. Do you know what it's like? It's like <laughs> trying to make someone playing a trick on someone by telling them someone they care about has died. We it's were just that watching, level of bad taste. We were just watching a comedy show before this show, and um, it was Sean Locke, and in his closing, he was talking about um, you can't even have your ashes scattered exactly where you want. You know, you have to, you have to scatter in certain places. I mean, for example, I'd want to have my uh, my uh, ashes scattered in Pierce Morgan's eyes, but I can't have that. Yeah, we don't. And that's want him. kind of how we all feel about him. So keep <laughs> yeah. him, but listen to him. You keep him on CNN with angry hillbillies yelling at him. That's Can we send Martin Bashir back? Yeah, we'll have him. Oh, yeah, he's fine. He's been over here too long. Yeah, he's fine. Yeah, send we'll, him, we'll back. Take him back. He probably needs a good bloody curry and a naan and shit. He's starting to get a little bit sensationalist. Is he? Just a tad bit. See, I had so much respect for him for, for the Diana one and for the Michael Jackson one. I think he did them both really, really well. Uh, the Michael Jackson one is the one that brought him to popularity over here. I, I remember that interview. That was a, like landmark television. That was that was the old, whole family sits down around the television set, and a hundred thousand, or I'm sorry, a hundred million people in the United States watch the same thing yeah, at the same time. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was a big thing. We all we all sat around with our mouths open wide, and it was exciting because we were in Vegas and we went to the shop that you went in going, and I have one of those. All the awful crap. And Seventeen in it. of those. And one thousand of those. <laughs> and they yeah, have a, they yeah, had a video of gold. the Martin Bashir interview playing on a video screen in their window. Fucking did. Yes, they did. <laughs> That's how happy they were. And a sign saying "Forever remembering our friend Michael." Michael, yeah, they made such a big thing out of it. And Michael Jackson came in the shop lots. We yeah. are here because Michael Jackson spent. All his money. All here. his money here on uh. shiny trinkets that are meaningless. <laughs> All that to introduce Lincoln Meyer, but that's not the only <laughs> thing going on in this episode or this three-episode arc. We've also got, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, and we can't talk about this episode without talking about Michael J. Fox. Okay. This is Michael the, J. Fox dies. Th- this really bothers me. I, I don't know why it is. It just creeps me the hell out, this whole story arc. Why? Um, well, because of what happens to him. Well, what after he dies? After he yeah, dies, yeah, that's kind of people sad. dying of cancer on TV. That happens time. time I We're think they handled bad, I, they handled his death so well because I love the whole thing of having the pre-funeral. You know, why why is there a party that I can't go to? You know, right? His characters made peace with his death, so the really audience has. does too. Even though he's fought so hard to stay alive, he he lets go like uh like the strong human that he he really is. But his but head ends so up low. in a haunted <sighs> house. His head ends up... It, it softens the blow, Jason. I'm sorry, I just heard what Jason said. Softens the fucking... I would have gone crazy if a mariachi band had have walked into my office. No, 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 no. The fact that he's at a pre-funeral oh. and that he's made peace oh, with his own death. That's all good. That's all it good. It softens the blow of the, the, the eventual announcement of his death. <laughs> and what an announcement, huh? 
I, I, you know, I think she handled that really well. And I do think that the mariachi band is a class act. It is, but would you like to be on the receiving end of that? <laughs> really? I guess I'd prefer that to some guy in a dark black suit and a drawn, haggard face coming up to me and putting his arm around me and saying, your wife is dead. Yeah. At least, you know, at least you would have some mariachi music to Yeah, whatever. I guess. It was, it was just an odd one because you didn't really get it, did you? Until the, until she told us what she knew the mariachi band meant. Right. It was a far more intimate way to to learn about his death. It was. I don't think I'd have liked it. <laughs> I don't know. It's how how would you prefer to hear of your loved one's death? I don't I don't know. I really There's don't. also the meta way of looking at this entire thing, which is that Michael J. Fox keeps on appearing as characters who are dying in media. To kind of prepare America for his actual, real-life, eventual death. That's really fucking deep, man. I thought so. <gasps> you, I think you're right, you know. He's, he's playing it out like Daniel did, really. Mm-hmm. I think he w- is. Walking the steps of, I am degenerating before your very eyes, and one day there will be no more. I will not be here. Um, well, yeah. Good on him, really. It, it was it was a fantastic role for him to take. It really great, put great him out character. There. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and you well, don't like want to like him at first, do you? No, he's kind of a dick. He's a ruthless little douche. Yeah. Until you find out that he's not really a dick, that's just kind of his his little facade that he puts up. Yeah. Maybe. To protect the people around him. Yeah, I think so. But like Rich said, his cadavers stolen, body parts split up. Sent around on the black market. His head ends up in a haunted house. It bothers me. What a horrible thing. And they go looking for it. I don't, don't want to go looking for it, you see. I'm not looking for it. It's gone then. You just <laughs> have to write that one off. I think I'd phone an authority or two, though, to tell them that the, the haunted house had human cadavers in it, not just wax models. That's a bit disturbing. May I be a little bit sexist and misogynist for a moment? Of course, yeah, because they deserve it in this scene. Go on. Hey, Rich. Yeah. Scale of one to ten, Julie Bowen. I. You, mm. Oh, please don't feel like you need to exclude me from discussions. I, uh, I am. I hold have, on. I have this opinions. Is, this is the men talking. Oh dear God. <laughs> <laughs> I I Go personally put Julie view. Bowen around the nine area. Yes. Yes, that is correct. Are you yeah. shitting me? No, I don't know what no, it is. No, she's she's an eight. She needs a pie to get to a nine. Oh, she's one of the most attractive women on all of television. No, I'm sorry. Blondes don't really do it. I don't really. know what it is, but there you go. She looks it's like... far and, hotter women in this. Oh, my God. Lisa will never hear this, but she looks like a perfected version of Lisa. <gasps> That's the cruelest thing I've heard spoken. I asked if I could be misogynist, and you said yes. He's just being misogynist, Tony. You said yes. I didn't say stop. <laughs> See, I'm sat here feeling bad about rating another woman in front of you. Julie and I, Bowen's do you know what? Nine. After, she needs a fucking After what pie, came out neck. of your mouth when we were watching X-Men First Class, I, I got a lot back on that one. What, what did come out of my mouth when we were watching Are you familiar X-Men? with the film X-Men First Class, Jason? 
I am. And you, so you might remember, sort of halfway through, there's this little montage where Charles Xavier and Magneto go on a, a little montage trip to gather up new mu- mutants. And they, of course, come across Wolverine, sat in a bar who goes and tells them to go fuck themselves. Thanks. And just as I was, I was actually taking Barkley out for a walk, and Alison was sat on the sofa watching this, and she just suddenly just was barely spoke the words, oh, I love him. <laughs> I said, and, I'm and then, sorry, but I love him. And then realised, in a way, she reacted after that in a kind of, oh, I said that out loud. No, oh, I knew oh, I was he saying, heard me I apologised, I apologised, I said, I'm sorry, right, I love Oh, him. I see, I see. That's it. Lisa and I decided a long time ago that there's no crime in admitting that even though we're married, there are other attractive people. Exactly. I, I welcome it. I welcome discussions of he or she would get it. I'm fine with that. I still am I'm quite... What's the word? Not amused. I find it nice, that whole idea of, the, of what, what Mike told me the other oh, night. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the yeah. whole idea that yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of us, we have this hypothetical, these are the five celebrities I'm allowed to sleep with and not get in trouble. <laughs> the, friends the friends list. The friends list. The friends list, And yeah, so I was, I was right? round at, at Mike's house with him and Will, and I <laughs> happened to, this came up in conversation, and I said, so what's your list? And he was like, I'm not allowed a list. It's what she won't let me have one, and you suddenly realize because you, you think at first that's a bit mean, and then you suddenly realize that's actually quite sweet because Mike's girlfriend <laughs> believes that all that is standing between her boyfriend and Beyonce is her permission. <laughs> that's it, she can't have a list because what if he meets her? Yeah, no, then you're not allowed to. There, there's none of that. And whereas, maybe she does knock around Leeds every couple of Saturdays, you know? she doesn't though, Jay Z. Hanging in the hood, not leaving Jay Z at home. I'm, so I'm she just can using hit Mike. Beyonce as a, a random example. Yeah, I, don't know. I think that I think that's even sadder because he he allowed his mental chains to be tightened there. I mean, in a room full of boys with no girlfriend, surely you quickly scrabble together a five. He, he needs his mental chains tightened. <laughs> Trust me. You know, I've never figured out Lisa's taste in men because, on one hand, you have me, which is nothing to look at. I mean, let's be honest. But on the top end, oh, Jason, on, on her list, you have cuteness. There's, there's some cuteness there. Okay, thank you. But I'm no Billy Zane, which is like number one on her list. Well, yeah, eyes. And then you could just, and then the you other, could just take his eyes and just have Billy Zane's eyes, and that would is do. that what it is? And then, then if you added the lips as well, then th- you could forget the entire rest of it. That's why. We like Billy Zane. There you go. Apparently you can just set them off talking about him just by mentioning his name. I could do this with your girls list as well. I could totally be there. Well, he went out with Kelly Brook for a while. Oh, now is she? Yeah, come on. She's hot. I don't know who that is. You don't know Kelly Brook? Google her now. I've never looked at pictures of her online. There'll be many, many, many pictures of Kelly Brook online. (laughs) She hot. So there's... So there's that storyline. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. You've lost me for a good 10, 15 minutes because I ended up just doing a search for images of Kelly Brook. <laughs> I'll be back in a while. Oh, look, that's her new lingerie collection. You know, and then on top of everything else, we've got Jerry Espenson in this episode. Love Jerry. Love I'm not him. too much of a fan. He gets annoying after a little while. He's got the same problems. You get these runs of episodes where it's like five episodes in a row where Jerry goes crying to Alan for help. Yeah, he's he's quite a weakened character, and then it, he overcompensates. Um, towards he's a the genius. End. 
an absolute genius, but he needs to have his hand held. Yeah, and he does. If if you worked alongside a Jerry, you'd know that, and it's okay. He does need his hand holding because he will get into some trouble in court sometimes, um, and people will find his buttons and press them because they're so much more visible than everybody else's buttons. So I get why they do it. I, d- I don't like the overcompensation towards the end, but I generally, when 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 we first meet Jerry, I, I, I'm endeared to him. He's very genuine and open. Yeah. He can't help but. And who's the, who's the English lady in here? The, it's very well spoken. Oh, I've forgotten her name now. Let me just briefly look her up. It's not Julie Bowen. The English lady? Yeah. In the world are we talking about? Oh, is she about? not? She's not in it by now. She comes in later. Oh, you're talking about the, the English yes. lawyer, the, the Jerry's would-be girlfriend at Yes, one. she yeah. comes in season she's four. She's never going to be the girlfriend. She's part of the reason that I don't like the later seasons. Mm. They, they'd wane because of her, because she's a very, for me, unlikable character. She's just a bit wet. She is quite and wet. A bit too sincere. And they bring in Saffron Burrows with a dimply chin as well. And I'm not a fan of Saffron Burrows. Now either. that I've pointed out that her chin looks like an arse, you can't chin. see it. You can't not see it, can no. you? Yeah. There you go. We'll ruin Saffron Burrows for you. Sorry, everyone. guys. She's got a chin like an ass. I think she's terrific. So do I. I mean, there's there's uses for the groove, I'm sure. But it's there. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> 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 so Jerry Espenson, we get his episode where he is uh, pulled up on capital perjury charges because he tries to sit in on a pro-death penalty jury. Yeah, being, and lies in order being, to do so. Yeah, this this was an interesting one for us because we don't have any of this, obviously, um, and we certainly didn't know about pre-screening juries for their beliefs before. We don't have that. Juries aren't selected, they are just, you get a letter and you're going to court. So how does that work then? Because this is the, the basis of our jury pool. You get the, the pool, way more jurors than you need, and then the lawyers sit and question you about your beliefs so that they can screen out the people that they think are too extreme on one side or the other. No. No. You, just, you, want, you, you, you get just sent a, a letter, you're going to court. If you don't go to court, you're going to prison. <laughs> it's as simple as that. You don't get pre-screened your beliefs beforehand. So there exists the possibility in the British court system that you could accidentally, just by process of statistics, have a all Nazi party jury. I suppose. I guess. It's yeah. Incredibly unlikely. Well, of course, it's incredibly unlikely, but it's statistically possible. And see, that's that's the problem that our jury selection system is designed to weed out. And you could argue that it creates its own problems, Mm. but by the process of being able to weed through the people that are too extreme on both sides, you know, the the defense gets to throw off people that they think are too extreme, the prosecution gets to throw off people that they think are too extreme, you get rid of outliers that could cause real problems. Mm. We don't really have many mental people that congregate in groups. Big enough to be for that to ever happen, really. And I guess juries are selected by geographical region and dem- demographics as well. I'm pretty sure that'll be in there. Yeah, 
And I, I think if you turned up and were obviously a nutter, oh, oh, probably I somebody didn't have would the say capacity. something. Yeah. To understand the proceedings and all See, the rest I've, of it. I've never been on a jury. I don't know I think anyone that's ever been on a jury. You might be tested for capacity, but not for your brief, uh, beliefs. <laughs> you won't be judged on your knickers. No. No. There's another murder trial that goes on during this three-episode arc. This this is stocked with high-profile cases. Yeah, you, you've got because, a funny feeling there's money being made in this episode. Because <laughs> <laughs> you get Jerry in the very next episode taking on a client who may or may not have killed her lesbian ex-lover. Yeah. The emotionless woman. No, uh, that's Missy Pyle. She, she she's shows the up. third woman. <laughs> Right, she's the third wheel to the entire affair. She's a suspect and a witness. Ah, uh, yes, yes, I remember now. Right. Uh, I, I do like that twist, though, with her. When she comes out and says, you know, I, m- maybe I've been pretending to have this personality the entire time. She was weird. She's very strange. I actually find her very strange as an actress. I've seen her in many other things, and she always comes off as quite odd. If somebody Lots. actually told me she had alien DNA, I'd be going, okay. In fact, wasn't she in Galaxy Quest? I have to... She was. She was She was the female alien in Galaxy Quest. Did she? She was, yeah. she? Yeah. Was she also the lady Martian that went to the White House in Mars Attacks? <laughs> that I don't know. I'm more I'm doubtful sure. about that one. IMDB, come to me. Let's see. Galaxy Quest. Mars Attacks. 1996. No, it appears I'm wrong. Or she just isn't top build. Nope, I was wrong. There you go. She was in Shit My Dad Says with William Shatner, though. Links all over the place. Kevin Bacon. That's mm. what's doing it. Those adverts are awful now, by the way. Yeah, they're uh, getting they, annoying now. They, yeah. Oh. He's doing adverts for a mobile phone network over here. And, you know, they're clever. But right. he's they, clearly delivering lines about shit he doesn't know about. <laughs> really. He has a new show out over here, The Following on Fox, which is apparently a Stephen King adaptation. Oh, okay. Oh, that's just started over here. Has it? Yeah. I think it's on Sky Atlantic. I was actually going to watch it. Hmm. Okay. The people who I know who still actually watch TV when it's broadcast say that they like it. Okay. Uh, I'd be willing to check that out. TV when it's broadcast, eh? I remember doing that. (laughs) Really do. Quaint. Yeah. (laughs) It It was like what we have now, but you couldn't fast forward through the commercials. Yeah. Which wasn't as good. So, yeah. Going back to the the lesbian storyline, we have to have Denny, don't we? Talking about his lesbian desires. It's priceless. It's just got to be there, really. He's the yardstick for heterosexual men, really. Because everybody's thinking it, but Denny says it. And he has to be applauded for that, really. And... it was a, it was an odd little case, really. I, you don't know who to believe all the way through, do you? And um, I quite like that when when Boston does that, when you're not really sure what's going on. And you know, it was very much the same in in Lincoln's first appearance. You didn't know, 
what was going on until you got a conclusion. And then kind of, you know, there's still questions up in the air when a trial finishes. It's not put to bed. Not really. I just have to walk away from the bed and, and forget it, um, which, is, which is kind of difficult, I think. But, um, yeah, this, this who murdered... Was it a murder? Who was this freaky alien lady? For any procedural police courtroom drama, there's two models that you can follow. You can go the Columbo route and show the killer committing the crime at the beginning of the episode. And then the show becomes all about how does Columbo get the killer? Yeah. Or you can go the audience participation route and play the guessing game. Give the audience clues slowly over time and see if they can solve it before the final reveal at the end. And I much, much prefer the second. I do like Columbo, but it should be restricted to just Columbo, I think. <laughs> well, Columbo, I don't think is really about the crime. It's about the character. Yeah, sure. It's which all is, about him. Yeah, it's a valid way to go. But at the same time, I like the participation part. I like being part of the show. I like having to think all the way through it instead of just receiving the images. Yeah. But we've got a bit of both going on in this arc, though, because we know what Lincoln's doing. And that's kind of in reverse. How, how do we resolve this situation that's already going on? We know it's happening. And then there's this murder, potentially. Um, and, and, and we don't really know what the hell's gone on here. And the way that he surrounds this one with mystery, I think, is really, really clever. There's another little bit of a spoiler. And if you don't want to hear it, then fast forward. Spoilers. But I really want to talk about Lincoln's death. Yeah. Just one second. I have to put wood on the fire. Okay. Sorry. And actually, now that I've said it, he doesn't actually die on screen. But he does get taken out of the picture violently. And it's rather beautiful, isn't it? It's, he, he's, he's the victim of his own hubris. Yes, hoisted by his own petard. Um, he, he thinks he's so damn clever. That's the thing about Lincoln. That's why he wants to be known. He wants to know, be known for being really clever, astute, and, and a charming gentleman who did everything perfectly. And he doesn't do everything perfectly at all. And I don't think that it's even that he values being clever. I think that it's just that he wants the attention that it gets him. Yeah. He wants the, the infamy. Yeah. I think he's decided that he's clever and superior and all the rest of it, and that's that's what he wants everybody else to know, that, that he could do this, he was clever enough to do this, and um, and clever enough to float under radar for a long time, really, about who he really was. Now, I have a question about that. I want to see what you think. We find out, of course, he's already been the suspect in a murder trial, and we find out that he might not been have been as involved as we thought. But then we find out when he kidnaps Shirley in this arc that he already has a safe room set up. Do you think that that means that he's pulled some pretty criminal shenanigans in the past? No, I don't. You think this is showing us he, he's all new to the criminal world? I really do. I really think he's I don't a think novice. He, yeah, I really don't think he knows what he's doing. Did he just build that safe room for... Shirley, or did he really have it there a long time? I mean, he's just telling us something there. It's not necessarily true. He might have fantasised for many, many moons about it, but he didn't get anywhere near anybody's gaze until there's murder next door. 
And he liked that. He was in the limelight. He was being interviewed by the TV here. He was in the papers. People knew who Lincoln Meyer was. And then it faded. That 15 minutes disappeared when the trial was over. And um, and I think he got a dreadful case of the look at me, look at me's. And that's why he uh, he did what he did with Shirley. I, I don't think he'd had any experience whatsoever before, but I think he's a fantasist and that's part of who he is. He, his entire peeping is about fantasies putting himself in the peeping position as if he were in the room or has even greater power because he's observing. <sighs> he's a little weirdo. But yeah, I don't think he's got experience of actually doing anything other than fantasizing. It's a really neat way to look at the character. It's uh, it's definitely a disproportionate power thing. He, he's always been watching and he's never had the power. And now that he's been accused of something, he just decides to try to take some of that power, but fumbles it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. He's just been an observer to this point, but he'd rather somebody know that he was watching. And in some way, omnipotent over everybody that he could judge. Because he's very judgmental. He decides who people are and what they are very, very quickly. Gives them horrible nicknames, um, which he repeats all the time. You know, Mr. Dirty Mouth. All that kind of thing, you know. He's very, very judgmental. And that just goes along with all the peeping stuff. That I'm watching you. I have power over you. You don't know about. I think he wants people to know about that power. See, I'm not sure that I agree with you, though. Because when we're in that safe room, it appears that it's well supplied and it appears that it's well lived in, like he spent time there. So I kind of got the feeling when I was watching it that he's done other things in that room. And maybe it was just to be there for the sake of fantasy. Maybe he was playing out some sort of illicit you know, game in his head about what he would someday do in that room. Mm. But I kind of thought, hey, maybe he's, maybe he's kidnapped someone before there. I don't know. I don't know. I think he's too cat-handed about it. I think he's watched a lot of TV and films and maybe put himself in the starring role a lot of times. But maybe <laughs> never actually done it. I think he's a, he's a snap case. That he reaches a point and he decides he's going to start doing this stuff. I, I, I never got the feeling that he'd done anything like it before. He, he suddenly, I think, I kind of felt that with his dealings before, he feels he's cleverer than the lawyers and he wants to beat them. He does, yeah. And that's, he, he gets frustrated. He, why, why he's so angry when they beat him at anything in any, any small victory, any argument or anything like that, even mm. out of the courtroom. And he has just such disgust for them. Mm. And, and so he just wants to beat them. And so this is the way he goes about doing it. Yeah, he's he's not someone who's done this a lot or or indiscriminately. This is a a very specific thing. I do think that he probably did intend to kill her. Oh yeah. Well, he he says that you didn't give me time to figure out my exit strategy. So I'm not sure if that's open-ended or not. I don't think that maybe he decided whether he was going to kill her <laughs> yeah. or not. He never really got that far in his fantasy maybe. Perhaps it was good enough to just have Shirley tied up in a chair. But he's the kind of sicko that makes me the most uncomfortable. Because as a character, he's neither good nor bad. He's neither evil nor light. 
he's just messed up and that makes him absolutely unpredictable. He could do anything. Mm. He's not he's not as simple as an extreme. No, he's not. He's he's <sighs> You know, the misleading thing that Star Wars has all conditioned us to believe is that there's a dark side and a light side. And Star Wars is really, really easy to get behind because the dark side of the Force is bad and the light side of the Force is good. Yeah. But when you start mixing those up into some grays and start contemplating that, hey, maybe somebody with some sort of a problem like Lincoln's might not maybe even be responsible for it. He, may, he might be just as much the victim as anything. That gets complicated. <laughs> And this very issue came up just when we were watching X-Men First Class. <laughs> Is Magneto really the bad guy? Really? We don't. It's, that's the ever-raging debate. You see, I think Lincoln is a bad guy. I think that um, even in the first case, he's not a good guy. He's a peeping Tom, and he's proud of it, and he's weird. And at that point, the wall goes up. What do you find endearing about him, Jason, if anything? I think that he's a victim of society. He's been shunned. He's been put in a closet in a corner or he's been basically abused to the point where these are the only ways that he can interact. And yeah. now he's almost an animal trying to lash out and get back at society. And I think that he is a bad guy. I think that the things that he does are terrible. But there's a difference between doing bad things and being evil. He's not consumed oh, I, by I, some darkness. No, I don't think he is either. I, I agree with you. I think he's had a horrific life. He's had a horrible childhood. I mean, he clearly didn't fit in in the playground. No doubt he was wearing a dicky bow tie at middle school, you know, and, and quoting Shakespeare and drinking sherry and things like that. Because he's, he's that kind of... That, that kind of character and he will have always stuck out like a sore thumb and, and not being part of anything and probably quite a cold and um, unloving childhood absentee parents maybe sent off to boarding school where he just didn't fit it's just odd he's just odd and he doesn't fit and, and right. he, he doesn't a, fit and he, he tries to reach out to different people you see that in the course of these episodes he tries to reach out to the lawyers and say hey I want to come to your Christmas parties hey I want to be involved in this case hey I want to be in the spotlight he's got all these cries for help mm. but even the lawyers are dicks to him they wow. show him no empathy whatsoever because he's repellent and it's really hard to get beyond the creep even if you do find, you know, even if you do find something redeeming, it's still a barrier. Like, God, no, he's just weird. And, um, and as much as he wants to hang out, no, no. I'll maybe put him in contact with someone who he can talk to, but he's not hanging with me. But that's why Marvel's so much better than DC. Because when you <laughs> present a character with depth that has good and bad aspects to their characters then you get much more compelling storylines. Exactly. You do. And I love Lincoln because I despise him. And you should read X-Men. He makes my skin creep. I can't take my eyes off him. He's wonderful. I want him to walk in the room. You would shit your pants I'd like a load of bricks falling. Exactly. But it does make him compelling. Uh, it also is very, very clear why why people don't hear him because the the other stuff's just too loud. I mean, imagine if you met him at a party, Jason. Really, 
you would turn around and walk the other way. I'd do the same exact thing that the lawyers did, but that's not the point. <laughs> did you? The point is that whether it's your choice or not, or whether it's the right thing to do or not, the actions that you have when you interact with somebody who's creepy uh-huh. can have weird consequences. It can. Do you feel? You like don't know where they're going to go with it, do you? Now, what what was the name of the the little guy that the secretary woman killed? It was that Bernie. Bernard. Yeah. Bernard. What if I was to say that I felt like uh, Lincoln Meyer is sort of a a more extreme version? There's a lot of similarities in the characters and their motivations. Yeah. Um, in in for very similar things, they're both, as you say, these marginalized people. Odd. You know, Lincoln Myers doesn't fit because he's very odd. Bernie doesn't fit because he's the little weird dude. Yeah. And that's, you know, he's, again... Who all, gay? Might be gay. That's the, yeah. It's the same thing, isn't it? It he really sounds is. Very he's a very mirrored character. But is he gay? That's not a, ever... I don't know. It, you it, actually it get isn't. the feeling that he's not. He, isn't he the kind of guy... He's lived with his mother all lived his with life. his mother. Confirmed bachelor. He's one of those. Um, like Sir Cliff. Yeah. And... Um, He's odd because he gets to tell us, you know, he's, he's having a conversation with Catherine o- over the dinner table, telling her that it's godlike and that he maybe craves that feeling again. And we know that that's really what's going on for, for Lincoln. He wants that omnipotence, that kind of, look at me, I'm amazing. They are very similar characters, and you almost get the feeling that the writers were sitting down in the, the writing room doing a character study saying, okay, let's take the same guy. The first time, let's make him somewhat likable yeah. with the possible of redemption. The second time, let's make him absolutely socially abhorrent. But let's see which one the the uh, the viewers demonize more. Lincoln Meyer is easier to demonize because he is just creepier. Well, he has social tics, but you can't you can't say that social tics are bad. No, they're not. It's just his particular. His, his speech, his character, everything. The look There's of the man. There's a lot about he, that speech, looks, like we said before. It's about the way he enunciates his vowels. And he it looks really more is. like the devil than Bernard. He's very, very crisp as well. You know, his hair is just so. His he's, glasses are just so. He's a pointy man. He's very pointy, very preppy. Like, yeah, yeah, very. Mm. I'm getting creeped just talking about him, you know? Exactly. <laughs> really am. Exactly. So, of course, you're going to hate him more. But no, I mean, he's the kind of guy that you guy. talk about at the bar, like, did you know, have you seen that guy over there? He's fucking weird. Don't talk to him. Whatever you do, go start a conversation with that dude over there, but not him. <laughs> and isn't there something altogether creepier about someone who would kidnap someone for a while and then kill them as opposed to someone who would just spontaneously kill someone? No, because he wanted to tell her. That's what I'm saying. Bernard was nothing like as creepy as as Lincoln because Lincoln kidnaps someone and holds them for a while with the intention of later killing them. Why would you do that unless you intend to put them through a very bad time while you've got hold of them? Whereas Bernard was just a bang with the... Oh, he was, yeah. Bernard had the the crimes of passion whereas Lincoln Meyer decides to psychologically torture you first with the ukulele. I I think they do a good job that we... As an audience, and this rarely happens. How how many things have you sat in front of going, well, he's clearly the bad guy now, and you have to do something about that now. And if you do it now, then everything will be fine. Not, of course, realizing that if you do it now, 
there won't be another TV show for another 45 minutes. <laughs> um, whereas in, in when Catherine deals with Bernard, it is we realize at the same moment she realizes he's not going to stop killing people. He enjoys it now. We might have forgiven him those crimes of passion before, but now he just wants to kill people. Mm. And she just gets up and smashes his head. <laughs> yeah. And that is for one the of the greater good. For the greater good. And that is one of those few times where you're like, gone girl. Yeah. That's what I wanted you to do. Yeah. Because clearly he was you gonna hate kill you. Bernard. You did, I was just disappointed in him that no, he, but he, not he, he needed to go. Reform. He needed to I go. I know, but it was like, oh, I'm really disappointed that you're gonna kill people, but I'm sorry. Bang. It was apologetic, really, because I liked him. He was cute and little and weird and like cake. And um, and um, Lincoln doesn't endear me at all. This is where Boston Legal succeeds, though, because they create the, the writers create these great ambiguated characters. Even your protagonist, Denny Crane, absolutely filthy scumball with a heart of gold. Yeah, uh, Alan Shore, younger, more polished version of that your primary characters brad chase is a stuck-up jackwad mm. who is really a good chivalrous guy underneath of it all uh shirley schmidt is a hard ass who does what she has to fires who she has to even if it's for absolutely terrible reasons and sometimes illegal ones and but she, she's doing it to protect her company and she does it with tears in her eyes bless her it, right it's not easy it's not Every like a stride Every single character that you can list off in Boston Legal has some fatal flaw. Alan's the biggest one, I think. Alan is so broken behind that front that he's got, that he portrays in court, that he portrays to women. When when he's on his own or with or with Denny, that that's when you see him at his most broken. And um, I, he really is. He's at a polar opposites of who he is in court. I, I th- yeah, they do it well, don't they? They do it really well. Especially like when, when they, they bring sit in... down. Sorry, go ahead. It's like when they sit down to write these characters, they're doing it with a D&D character creation sheet, you know? Okay, if we give five points to confidence, we have to take five points away from mental uh, stability. If we give yeah. five points to, uh, to, to chauvinism, then we have to take five points away from, uh, you know, rage or whatever but they, they balance out those good and bad traits almost evenly so that you get these characters that are perfectly balanced shades of gray they do a good job of it though mm-hmm. they do a very good job of it uh I, I think it's always good to write characters that aren't perfect oh yeah they're the best ones they're the ones who get under your skin the most and even better, characters that just completely flip to the other side of the spectrum. I'm pretty sure that if somebody said to me at 70, if I get there, Lincoln Meyer, I'll have a little bit of sugar going on. Do you think? Definitely. Even then? Definitely. Creepy guy. He's dead, though, don't worry. Can't get you. His creepiness will stay with me far longer uh-huh. than, say, uh, Hannibal Lecter's. Really? Yeah. Because some of that Hannibal Lecter stuff really bothers me. It bothers me, but not in the same way as Lincoln does. He eats brains. Hannibal yeah, Lecter. but he's very direct about it. He eats brains. Now, just to refresh the spoiler tag on this, I think you wandered away to restock the fireplace when we said it, Rich. Yeah. But uh, Lincoln doesn't die. Oh, he doesn't die. No. So, no. Yeah. He's shown alive after he gets shot with a yeah. night arrow. Yeah. It's a night arrow as well, isn't it? It, it is. It's a night it's arrow. Yeah, you yeah. You can't fuss about with stuff like that. You can, you it's can't. not on fire. You can't have day arrows inside, really. It's, it's dangerous. Bad harm. 
It's dangerous. <laughs> yeah. As if arrows aren't dangerous enough. Yeah. Not making them day arrows. Yeah. <sighs> Mind you, we come from a country where we have dartboards in pubs, so... <laughs> yeah, we throw projectiles <laughs> indoors. Yeah. Still fire. It's not good. Didn't see any dartboards in bars in San Francisco. I just don't think to... we went in enough bars. There is that argument. We also. went in quite a lot of bars on that night. We I was Mark few, and David doing quite a few bars. That was a good night. Went in a lot of bars. Lot some of, of bars. them with toilet doors, some without. Most of them without, yeah. and and most of them with just a toilet for all genders. Yes, it's great. Anyway, <laughs> where were we? Oh yeah, the the setup. So is is another elaborate thing. This is why I think that uh, Lincoln's got a personality disorder because he has to be elaborate. He has to be dramatic about everything. And um, and he also needs to separate a little bit, I think, because he doesn't really want to be the one who's who's actually causing the harm. He'd rather that be a mechanical little bit of a thing. Right, he didn't pull the trigger himself. No. He set it up so that you had to hurt yourself. Yeah. You know, he doesn't want to inflict, really. He's fantasised about it, but doesn't really want to be the one who causes the death. That would be your fault. He'd much rather everything be your fault. That's what he's all about. Yeah. He wants to punish you for the way that you are. Which maybe that's a little bit of projectionism. Do we even Completely. get a look what you've made me do line from him at some point? I don't know. I, had I, a whole, I can't think of an example. I had a whole page of Lincoln Myership. It feels like um, that kind of a character. Quite the sociopath. One of my favourite lines ever. That's what you get, Mr. Dirty Mouth, Mr. Lawyer Man, Dirty Pants. <laughs> Thank you, Ass. I think that he utters something remarkably similar to that, Rich, when uh, when he gets his comeuppance. Right. When that crossbow goes off. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. I don't remember exactly, though. I wonder. I'll go back and watch it all again at some point, I'm sure. Not that that helps me right now. Sorry. Uh, There's other stuff in this episode, but I'm pretty impressed with the stuff that Allison said. Thanks. I think it's a good place to end. Gee, <laughs> <laughs> thanks. I don't know. You got a little bit deep there, Allison. That's <laughs> how I like to be, Jason. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What do you think, Rich? Do we have another Boston Legal episode in us next week? Apparently we do. We should talk about how it ends and... All that sort of thing. And we I should think. talk about the people that we don't like towards the end, yeah? Yeah. We need to get that out of the way. Because so far we've just sucked up to all the characters, really. Even the ones that are a bit dicks. We we need to watch season five as well. And we need something else to watch, so... Yeah, we've just rinsed Breaking Bad big style. <sighs> this would be a good cleanser for your palate. Yeah, It I really will, so. you know. Crikey, psychological damage after that shit. I was going to try and start watching My, my Little Pony just to <laughs> I was going to try and find uh, some of that Heidi stuff that I watched when I was a kid. I've looked you know, and looked do, for that. You do, can do, buy it on do, DVD, do, but it's not on Netflix do, or anything. Do, 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 do. You, can, you can get it on DVD. Did you ever have that in the States? I have Heidi. no idea what you're talking about, other than the movie with Jason Robart. No, that's all no, no. Heidi I know. This is this was done in in the 80s, maybe late 70s, 80s, and it was um, I don't know if it was German or Austrian, but I think it was Austrian, and it was set in the Tyrol, God knows when, and um, it followed the adventures of Heidi, who was the main character, and her who lived with her grandfather, 
because it was dubbed in German accent in English. It was fantastic. And um, she had a friend called Clara who couldn't walk. And basically they had adventures on the mountains in Austria. And it was all very light and lovely. It's on DVD. It's £12 (laughs) per pack or whatever. Peter? Do you know anything called Peter? Yeah. It clearly was like her boyfriend, but she was only about 10, so they weren't really boyfriend and girlfriend. They just like pushed each other every now and again. Oh my God. They also have Huckleberry Finn and his friends on DVD, but it's £35. My God. That's for a DVD, not a box set. Oh no, four disc complete series. Oh, might have to acquire that. Anyway, sorry. So we'll talk next week about uh, the end of Boston Legal before we jump into our next series, which is my choice this time around. Have you had any thoughts along those lines? I've narrowed it down to two. We'll talk. Okay, Okay, cool. Uh, It depends on how much I want to punish you guys. Oh, Jason. Well, you picked Boston Legal, Allison. And it didn't hurt a fucking thing. No, but that's the point. You you brought us to a high, <laughs> and now it's time to sink back down to the lows of what television can offer. Awesome. You've already done that. I like the lows. <laughs> if you didn't have the lows, the highs would be meaningless. Okay, then I'll watch some You've got to take some yin rubbish. with some yang. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. But I think that's it for this evening. Is there anything that we need to plug? We can plug Atomic Trivia War 9000. Yeah, that's I a like good that show. show. It's great. Yeah. I like the ding. You mean this? <gasps> yeah, that's a good oh, one. Oh, yeah. There we go. Everybody likes the ding. That's good. We can Gotta plug, listen to get some trivia on. We can plug uh, Take It or Leave It. Yeah, hey, that's another good one. You do that live on Sundays. We do, 4 p.m. UK time. GMT. Yes, talk too much about Mac. Sorry. Apple. What should we talk more about? Just less Apple. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what? Some I, of us use Microsoft products, Rich. I've been quite restrained with something. Do you know, while we've been recording this show, Sony have, have announced the PS4. Have they? I mean, yeah, it's like a major thing, that. That is a big thing. So There was a bunch of Twitter traffic that was all making jokes about the, the Vita I had to look up and find out what the Vita was. Yes, that's that's Sony's really good selling console. Have we finished the show? I think uh, we're done. Should we get out of it? Have oh, we, we do Shaft Saturday nights live. Me and Richard mess we were, about at midnight. We were just chatting then. Yeah. I didn't know if we'd we know what we were doing. We're talking about other shows, and um, yeah, we do we do a live call-in show yes. on Saturday nights called Richard and Allison's Super Happy Fun Time, and you get more of us. And more of you, actually. Because you can call in. Because you can call in and we dig that shit. So do that. Come join us on Saturday nights. And the other thing, what did we just do about two hours ago? Oh, yes. Do, do Ask, Do Tell is back. Uh, so go and check that out on Simply If you don't know what Do Ask, Do Tell is, that's the, the kind of uh, LGBTQ show that it we've got going on LGBTQ here. show. The um, XV9JY. LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered, queer yeah. show. And I host that. I, yeah. That still blows my mind. But it, it's great because we've got uh, a bit of a mix of genders and sexualities on the show and that's the way it's intended. It is indeed. And don't forget that, of course, simplysyndicated.com is a listener-supported 
Podcast Network, Entertainment Network. We've got loads of stuff. stuff. So if you can help us out, we very much appreciate it. It's how we keep going. There's a big orange donate button on the front page of the site. But what's probably better is if you make your way over to our store, you'll find very well organized ways to get all of our back content, which is sort of like eight years of garbage. So go <laughs> and check it out. And that's how Some we, of it's how mainly we listenable. So, yeah, <laughs> it's, it is mainly listenable. It really is. So uh, I heard that the deal is that if you buy something on the store, you get to, to be our friend. Yeah. That is, that is that the works? deal. That is the that's deal. That's the deal. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? We do meetups as well. Oh, yeah. There's one we don't really talk in. about this. We do this. Um, every six months, we meet up in, well, Leeds in the UK. And um, we meet up on a Saturday. We take over a, a room in a public house. And um, we have a jolly good old geek out over some alcoholic drinks and food. So, and then we all probably stay at the same hotel and we just have a great time. So if you want to come to Leeds, the next one is the 6th of April and it's at the Great Victoria Pub. On, um, it's the Great Victoria, no, it's the Victoria Hotel Victoria on hotel. Great George Street, Yes, which is just behind Leeds Town Hall. And um, we, we usually get there about 5 or 6 p.m. and we're in the back room. And people do come from all over the world. They so really there's do. there's really no excuse. Man, we've really. had people from Korea come to see us. We've had a Californian come to see us. Um, a guy from Germany came. A couple from uh, Finland. Finland. I've been more than once. So, you know, if you think you got it's a long way away, just come. Just come. We have such a good laugh and everybody's just cool. And, um, yeah, we have good nights. So, there you go. Get any diet. Someday. Someday I'll get to one of those. No, I hope but so. But I feel really bad because I had a, a really awesome listener this week who was about an hour and 15 minutes away from me. Yeah. And messaged me seeing if I could come meet him. And I had to tell him, you know, I'm sorry, man. I'm working 50-hour weeks and everything mm. else goes to the child. Yeah. Not good, mate. So, we'll see you when she's 18, buddy. Yeah, that's how it's going <laughs> to You know it. Or after the divorce, when I'm rolling in that sweet settlement money. Oh God, yeah. 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 <laughs> when you've moved state and everything, and you're living by the beach, and we'll right. come and when hang I'm with you. Me alimony. <laughs> <laughs> okay, when you're living in a basement, yeah, well, we know. Yeah. Oh, go and live like Mel Gibson in <laughs> Lethal Weapon Two. Well, on the beach. Yeah. I think that might be a bit pricey. <laughs> no, because he only has a shitty caravan. Doesn't he? It's the location He's of the caravan nice that I house. think probably costs quite a lot. No, you just get a caravan and park on the beach. <laughs> oh, that's what you do that's with easy. it. Okay. That's easy. Yeah, that's do that, do. Jason. See yeah. what happens. <laughs> so I think that's it for today. <laughs> okay. okay. Oh, yeah, we're still on the show, aren't we? Yeah, oh, we are. right, we then, uh, I'll say off. goodbye. Bye-bye, everybody. See you.